Well, good evening, everyone. And, uh, and Jason, I want to thank you for choosing that particular song. That is one that I can tell you exactly where I was the first time I heard that. I, I was attending a Catholic men's conference at St. Francis Parish in Grapevine, Texas, two years ago, and, and heard it there, and that song has been a, a favorite of mine ever since. Well, as I look around this room tonight, I see so many people who have been with me on, on the journey that, that has brought me here tonight. And whenever I mention to someone that I'm a convert to the Catholic Church, and the person expresses interest in hearing more of the story, my usual response is, I would be happy to tell you about it, but we might have to set aside about two hours and put on a pot of coffee for that talk. So I promise it won't be two hours, but we do have a pot of coffee. All right. All right. Well, um, as Pete said earlier, um, I, I believe there's something hardwired into our human nature to, to love stories. Remember that Jesus often taught in parables. Um, he used stories to, to draw people into himself. And the story of salvation history that we receive through the church is the story of, of God's great love for his people. And each one of us has a story to tell. My purpose for being here tonight is to share the story of the journey that led me to the Catholic Church. And I hope that each one of you will be encouraged to tell your own story. Um, even though I'm telling it through my own eyes, this story isn't really about me. It's, it's about God's grace working in my life. Uh, every year around Christmas, I enjoy telling people that I grew up in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, Kentucky. <laughs> and just like the song says, it's a little town. Uh, for as long as I can remember, my family attended a, a small rural church along with my extended family on my dad's side. And I don't ever remember a time when I didn't uh, know and, and believe the stories of the Bible. So you might say I was a Buick, brought up in church kid. <laughs> so. uh, during my high school years, I, I began to have some questions about matters of faith, which I think is, is normal at that age. Um, in the faith tradition I grew up in, the answer to any spiritual question amounts to, what does the Bible say about that? So I started to read my Bible on my own. Um, sometimes I had questions that were beyond what I felt comfortable discussing with my parents. And thankfully, someone came into my life to, to fulfill that need. Um, he was a Methodist pastor in a neighboring town. Um, he and his wife often welcomed me into their home whenever I wanted to discuss something. And around the same time, my cousin Lisa introduced me to contemporary Christian music, uh, which was of great benefit to me during those awkward teenage years. Uh, in particular, I discovered the Christian rock band Petra, and I still often play their CDs in, in my car or when I'm weightlifting. When high school graduation time came, I, I received a scholarship to attend Campbellsville College, now known as Campbellsville University, a, a Southern Baptist affiliate about 100 miles south of, of my hometown. And for the first time, I was surrounded by people my own age who took their Christianity seriously and, and encouraged me to do the same. In particular, I became involved with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, FCA. I also found a church to attend while I was in Campbellsville, and the youth director invited me to serve as his assistant. Some people enter college with a, a definite career plan, and, and, and for others, a plan emerges during those years. Well, I didn't fit into either group. Uh, three and a half years went by. I changed majors a few times. Graduation day approached, and I still wasn't quite sure what I wanted to be when I grew up. I knew it was time to get out of the comfort zone of Kentucky, at least for a while. I had spent a few months working on, on a summer job in Massachusetts, so I knew the East Coast fairly well, but this time I decided to follow the words that are often attributed to Horace Greeley, 
Go west, young man. I heard about a Lutheran organization in Omaha that invited people, mostly recent college graduates like myself, to work for a year um, in various nonprofit organizations around the city in exchange for a place to live and a, a stipend for living expenses. It sounded intriguing, so one weekend in the early spring, uh, just before graduation, I flew out to Omaha to check out the Lutheran Service Corps. When I arrived at the Omaha airport that night, one of the residents of the LSC house was there to welcome me, a tall blonde man named Carter. He took me out for a late night snack and he described the history of the LSC community. He said that the house had once been owned by the Catholic church next door, which had used it as a convent. Um, it was a big two-story brick house with eight tiny bedrooms and, and even a chapel. All the nuns had moved out years earlier, and the parish had sold the house to the Lutherans. Well, then Carter said something that I will always remember. He spoke of the many prayers that had been said in that house over the years, and he believed that the house was sanctified by all those prayers rising from it. Over the course of that weekend, I decided that this community would be a good fit for me for the coming year. And by the time my plane landed in Louisville on, on Sunday evening, I knew I would soon return to Omaha, and that following September, I moved into that repurposed convent on North 30th Street in Omaha, along with four other people about my age and a semi-retired Lutheran pastor who served as our spiritual director. The original plan was that my work assignment for the year would be with the local chapter of Habitat for Humanity, but there was a last minute change, and instead the Lutheran Service Corps placed me with another Lutheran organization. Lutheran Family Services of Nebraska. It was a good fit since my degree from Campbellsville was in business. And I worked in a number of different areas of, of Lutheran Family Services at its a corporate office in downtown Omaha. Only a few months earlier I had been entirely unfamiliar with the Lutheran branch of Christianity and here I was getting a crash course in, in Lutheranism. Even so, I never felt a call to personally become a Lutheran. I heard about an evangelical megachurch in suburban West Omaha, and after my first visit, I felt right at home there. For such a huge church, uh, I found it to be a very warm and welcoming community, and it seemed solid in its doctrine. This church had a large group of young singles with activities nearly every weekend, and by the time I had been there a few months, I was already serving as an usher for Sunday morning services. Uh, each evening at the Lutheran Service Corps house, um, after we returned from our work assignments, my housemates and I took turns preparing our evening meal. Once a month we had some type of community building activity off-site. Uh, uh, on one of those monthly outings, we went on an overnight visit to a Benedictine retreat center in Schuyler, Nebraska, about 70 miles from Omaha. Yes, that's right, a Lutheran community living in an old convent, visiting a Catholic retreat center. <laughs> you see where this is going. <laughs> Something about the St. Benedict Center fascinated me, and I, I went back there a number of times on my own after that first visit. On one of those visits, I wandered into the, the little bookstore inside the retreat center, and one book on a clearance table caught my eye. Any friend of God's is a friend of mine, a biblical and historical explanation of the Catholic doctrine of the communion of saints by Patrick Madrid. 
Now that's a mouthful of a title, but it sounded intriguing, and I had just enough cash in my wallet, so I bought it. I didn't read it right then. That would happen much later. Let me back up a little bit. Uh, a year before I moved to Omaha, I was attending a friend's wedding, and I met a beautiful young woman named Bonnie Peterson. We kept in touch and eventually began a relationship, which had the challenge of living in separate states. <laughs> After I moved to Omaha, I made many trips to St. Paul, Minnesota, where Bonnie was living and attending college. When my year with the Lutheran Service Corps was about to end, Lutheran Family Services offered me a, a permanent position. Bonnie and I married the following summer, and just after she graduated from college, and she joined me in my newly adopted hometown of Bellevue, Nebraska, just south of Omaha. Until we were married, we had never lived in the same state. <laughs> she also found a job with the Lutherans in a church preschool. We continued to attend the West Omaha Church and formed some great friendship with other couples our age. Before long, though, we felt the urge to move closer to our families, which was a bit of a challenge with one family in Wisconsin and one in Kentucky. I accepted a position in the real estate accounting group at Agon, now known as Transamerica, here in Cedar Rapids. I rented a tiny, ugly apartment here while Bonnie finished the school year in Omaha. Our house in Bellevue sold quickly, and we were eager to get out of that tiny, ugly apartment, so we bought an old house on 11th Street in Marion. Although we didn't know it at the time, the choice of that particular house triggered a series of events that would draw us into the Catholic Church. Across the fence from our new old house was a larger house that had been divided into apartments. Uh, one Sunday afternoon, when we had been there only a short time, I saw a young man moving into the apartment that faced our yard. I went over and introduced myself. Michael was a recent college graduate uh, who had grown up near the Quad Cities and had just accepted a job in Cedar Rapids. Over the next few weeks, he came to our house often, and in the course of one conversation, he mentioned that he was Catholic. Now, up until then, my exposure to Catholicism had been quite limited, and I wanted to know more about my neighbor's religion. And I remembered this book that I had picked up in Schuyler a year or so before, and I, I started to read it. And I finished it. And I realized with just the slightest hint of uneasiness that everything in it made sense. <laughs> I knew that Catholics held Mary in high regard and had statues in their churches, uh, both of which were foreign to my experience. But Patrick Madrid made a compelling case for why these uh, practices were totally appropriate and not idolatry at all. He had included his email address in the back of the book, so I sent him a message, and he graciously responded with suggestions of other reading material. The back of the book also included an advertisement for Envoy Magazine, a journal of Catholic apologetics, so I ordered a copy, this very one, all the while telling myself and Bonnie that this was purely a quest for learning. <laughs> I don't claim to be a scholar. I'm from a region where people have nicknames like corncob and slingshot and, and, and carry shotguns in the back windows of their pickup trucks. <laughs> I have no delusions of who I am. But when, when I have questions, I'm determined to find the answers. I discovered that Patrick Madrid had written some other books and served as editor of Surprised by Truth, a collection of stories of, of people who had joined or, or returned to the Catholic Church as adults. 
I knew people who had left the church for other denominations, but not the other way around. Did, did people really convert to Catholicism? Well, well, apparently so, and it wasn't just lay people. There was a ministry called the Coming Home Network that helped pastors from other branches of Christianity find their way into the Catholic Church. The name of that particular organization uh, resonated with me, the Coming Home Network. And if you've ever seen the journey home on Monday nights on EWTN, you've, you've seen a part of the, the ministry of, of the Coming Home Network. A common theme in the stories that I read was that for these people, becoming Catholic felt like returning to a place where they belonged, even if they had never actually been there. One day at our home, I mentioned to neighbor Michael that I had begun studying the Catholic Church in a strictly academic way, of course. <laughs> he said, I'll be right back, and went next door to his apartment. <laughs> he returned a few minutes later with a stack of books to loan to me. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, the Baltimore Catechism, Butler's Lives of the Saints, and a few others. Not long after that, Bonnie slipped the next piece of the puzzle into place. The husband of another teacher at her school had also become interested in Catholicism. I was eager to compare notes with someone close to home, so I called Mike, that's right, another Michael, and we found that we had made some of the same discoveries. Uh, one Sunday afternoon, we met at the cafe at, at Barnes & Noble, and before we realized it, four hours had passed. It was good to have a companion on the journey, but where was this journey headed? Why would I want to be Catholic when I was content where I was? Was there something in the Catholic Church I needed? Something I longed for without even realizing it? What had started as a purely academic pursuit was making me more and more uncomfortable. Early in my studies, a, a couple of Latin terms came up, sola scriptura and sola fide, scripture alone and faith alone. Until then, I hadn't realized just how much my understanding of Christianity had relied on those concepts, especially sola scriptura, the belief that the Bible is the only authoritative source of doctrine for Christians. But how had the early church functioned before the New Testament had been compiled as we know it? And why had I never thought about that? Without knowing it, I had always approached the Bible the way many people do, as if it had dropped out of the sky on the day of Pentecost. But I soon found out that there was debate as late as the fourth century over what books should go into the New Testament long after the apostles had passed away. I also became more and more aware that many intelligent and, and faithful people disagreed on their interpretations of the scriptures, and sometimes on important topics like baptism. At the same time, I realized how weak my knowledge of church history was. I had assumed that corruption entered the church in the early years, and Martin Luther and other reformers came along in the, in the 16th century to set things straight. As I continued to read conversion stories, one troubling quotation kept coming up, one attributed to John Henry Cardinal Newman, to be deep in history is to cease to be Protestant. Cardinal Newman, I soon learned, was himself a convert from the Anglican Church. Our neighbor Michael and I continued our conversations by email after he moved away. The topic that came up the most often was the Eucharist. I had always understood communion, or the Lord's Supper, as purely symbolic. 
we all knew the elements were, were really just tiny crackers and, and wine for the Lutherans and Welch's grape juice for everyone else. Uh, communion, in my understanding, was simply a memorial. The idea that it was more than that was a new concept for me. There was one back and forth email sequence with, with Michael where I quoted a passage from 1 Corinthians. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily will have to answer for the body and blood of the Lord. A person should examine himself and so eat the bread and drink the cup. It wasn't until later that I realized that those verses make no sense if communion is purely symbolic. So I had caught the seat of my pants on my own pitchfork. <laughs> you sound like you've never heard that one. <laughs> I was born and raised in Kentucky. We have all kinds of sayings like that. <laughs> the other topic that I kept running into was apostolic succession. And it caused me to think back to, to something I had heard during my college years from an unlikely source, a, a Latter-day Saints missionary. Somehow in a town as deep-fried Southern Baptist as Campbellsville, Kentucky, I had engaged in a conversation with some Mormons. Campbellsville University was and still is a place where many Baptist pastors earn their undergraduate degrees. So the call to ministry was a familiar topic on the campus. The analogy presented by my Mormon friend went something like this. Imagine an ice cream truck driver is making his rounds through a neighborhood and he sees a police car and he thinks to himself, that's my true calling. So he puts a rotating light and siren on his ice cream truck and starts handing out speeding tickets. Now, those tickets are not valid because no one has conferred on him the authority to issue them, no matter how strongly he feels called to be a policeman. Now, at the time, I thought that was a silly analogy, but years later, it came back to me. Taking a step back from apostolic succession, I saw that the underlying question was, what exactly is the church? I had always understood the church in, in the broadest sense of the word to, to be simply the collection of everyone around the world who believed in the Holy Trinity, no matter what label they put on their local assemblies. But now my studies were challenging this invisible church idea. In particular, St. Ignatius of Antioch was often quoted, wherever the bishop shall appear, there let the multitude of the people also be, even as wherever Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. This is often cited as the first known use of the word Catholic to describe the church. And clearly, St. Ignatius understood the church as visible and hierarchical. At the same time, I ran across a line of scripture that I hadn't noticed before in the first letter to St. Timothy. But if I should be delayed, you should know how to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. If anyone had asked me what was the pillar and foundation of truth, I would have said the Bible, of course. But here the Bible was saying that about the church. And as if those two statements weren't enough, there was a line in one of the documents of Vatican II, Lumen Gentium, that left me speechless. This holy council teaches that the church a pilgrim now on earth is necessary for salvation. Hence, they could not be saved who, knowing the Catholic Church was founded as necessary by God through Christ, would refuse either to enter it or to remain in it. If I hadn't already known I was in deep trouble, I did then. 
If the Roman Catholic Church truly was the living New Testament church established by Jesus and the apostles, how could I remain outside of it? But what about Mary, purgatory, the Pope, confession to a priest, indulgences, veneration of relics, and all those other obstacles? And keep in mind, this was the early 2000s, and we all remember what was all over the news at that time. There had to be a fatal flaw somewhere in Catholicism, but I couldn't find it. Gradually, our friends and family found out about my new interest. Uh, some were supportive, others were clearly uneasy about it. I hadn't realized until then that many people had bitter distaste for the Catholic Church. I remember one heated discussion at a friend's home in Minneapolis, which prompted him to send me an eight-page letter explaining all the errors that he saw in Catholicism. And so I responded with a 20-page letter, <laughs> single-spaced, with 73 footnotes. <laughs> People sent me anti-Catholic materials in the mail, and sometimes with no return address. Michael, the neighbor who had gotten me into this mess in the first place, moved away. The last time I heard from him, he was married and living in Indiana. The other Mike and his wife Kimberly were received into the Catholic Church in 2003. Around the same time, I heard about a, a conference called Defending the Faith to be held that summer at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. I invited Mike to take a road trip to Ohio with me, and he agreed. My quest for truth was becoming a journey in the most literal sense. From the afternoon we arrived in Steubenville, and, and for the next two days, everything I had been studying over the past two years came to life. The speakers, the masses, the, the holy hour on Saturday night, it was almost too much to take in at once. But I don't want to make it sound like some sort of religious emotional high. I had been initially drawn to the Catholic Church by truth, and then I began discovering the goodness and beauty of the Catholic faith in a way that I couldn't by simply reading about it. For some people that process happens in reverse. They're initially drawn to the beauty and goodness of the Catholic faith. Philosophers call these three qualities, truth, beauty, and goodness, the transcendentals. For me, it was important that truth would come first and the others would follow. Remember that it was Patrick Madrid's book that had been the starting point of my studies. While we were on a break uh, between sessions of the conference, I was standing outside the bookstore and guess who was standing next to me? <laughs> of course, I struck up a conversation with him and reminded him of the emails we had exchanged. Mike and I also had the chance to speak to Marcus Grodi from the Coming Home Network and Dr. Scott Hahn, two gentlemen whose conversion stories are, are now legendary. As Mike and I drove home on Sunday, somewhere along the way I said, I wonder who I should choose as my patron saint. <laughs> we looked at each other and burst out laughing. <laughs> and he asked me, do you realize what you just said? <laughs> And then while I was taking my turn driving and Mike was reading his Bible, he came across Revelation chapter 12, read it aloud to me, and said, this says Mary is our mother. I knew my journey had reached a point of no return. All evidence aligned in favor of the Catholic Church. There were still many things I didn't quite grasp, but when you've accepted apostolic succession and, and the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, you're basically there. Everything else falls into place after that. Mike and Kimberly had joined St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Parish in Hiawatha, appropriately enough a church that was named for a convert. I called and set up an appointment with a pastoral associate at St. Elizabeth and told him my story. 
The time had come to update friends and family on what was going on. Most accepted it, although typically with some questions and concerns. Some of these questions were totally reasonable, such as what need was lacking in your life that you have found in Catholicism, and have you sincerely valued the Bible more than any other resource? Bonnie and I were still attending another church here in Cedar Rapids. The pastor didn't fully agree with, with the direction I was headed, of course, but he was as supportive as he could possibly be, and, and I'll always be grateful for that. I started going to a men's scripture study group at St. Pius Church on Wednesday nights. Another man from that group had an impressive knowledge of scripture and Catholic doctrine. He and his wife became mentors on my journey, and I'll always be thankful to Alan and Melissa Kiefler for their support. He's here tonight. I also started attending the Tuesday morning men's fellowship at St. Elizabeth, the men of action. Those gentlemen provided me with a tremendous amount of encouragement along the way. I remained a part of the St. Elizabeth Men of Action for several years until Bonnie and I moved our membership over here. I was received into the church at Easter Vigil Mass on April 10th, 2004. Steve Surratt, who's also here tonight, served as, as my sponsor. Bonnie, of course, came along to support me, although she wasn't ready to take that step with me. Having read uh, Scott and Kimberly Hahn's book with its corny title, Rome Sweet Home, this one, <laughs> I, I remembered the, the pain that Kimberly had experienced when Scott left his Presbyterian ministry and joined the Catholic Church, and I didn't want that for Bonnie. And I assured her that even if she never decided to become Catholic, everything would be fine. When the time was right, Bonnie made her own journey to the church, and now she has her own story to tell. That night, when I was confirmed and received the Eucharist, my family wasn't there. And except for the people we had met on the journey, our friends weren't there. But I don't remember feeling any sadness about that. Looking back, I see it as my chance to say, I choose you, Lord. I choose you in your church, even though my family and friends don't understand. And there's still so much I don't understand either. But I'm trusting you. A wise man once said, it is impossible to be just to the Catholic Church. The moment men cease to pull against it, they feel a tug towards it. The moment they cease to shout it down, they begin to listen to it with pleasure. The moment they try to be fair to it, they begin to be fond of it. But when that affection has passed a certain point, it begins to take on the tragic and menacing grandeur of a great love affair. Tragic and menacing grandeur. People don't talk like that anymore, <laughs> but maybe we should. Mr. Chesterton nailed it with that one. I had lived in a former convent. I had spent numerous nights in a, in a Benedictine retreat center with the Blessed Sacrament right there in the building. I had started reading the Church Fathers and Vatican II documents. I had attended a Steubenville conference. There was no way I could resist the pull toward the church. When I decide to do something, I tend to jump in with both feet. I went back to Steubenville that summer, this time with Bonnie, and I got involved with the planning of our diocesan men's conference, but it still wasn't enough. I wanted more. As a married man, the priesthood and religious life were no longer options for me, but maybe I could be a pastoral associate or serve the church in some other vocational capacity. A year after I came to the church, I resigned from Agon to work full-time on a master's degree in religious studies. 
confident that God would provide for our financial needs. It was a reckless thing to do, but it seemed right at the time. The reality would prove much different from what I expected. There are some Catholic colleges and universities that are faithful to church teaching, but there are many that have embraced academic freedom to the point of compromising or even abandoning their Catholic identity. My time in Catholic academia was eye-opening, to say the least. Time and time again, I heard people with advanced theology degrees questioning and even openly denying fundamental truths of the faith. On occasion, I mustered up the courage to speak up, which accomplished little more than labeling myself as a troublemaker. By the end of the year, I had had enough. I withdrew from the master's program and walked away, defeated, wounded, broken, and unemployed. For the first time, I began to wonder if I had made a huge mistake. The joy that I had experienced as a new convert faded away and I was disappointed with the reality of being Catholic. I began to understand why people leave the church, especially in college. My growing collection of Catholic books got packed up in boxes. As discouraged as I was, though, I never seriously considered leaving the church, even though I said that a few times in, in moments of frustration. Somehow I knew that what I had experienced in Steubenville and through the, the witness of faithful Catholics here in Cedar Rapids was real. The words of St. Peter, possibly the most profound theological statement ever spoken, came to me. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else could I go but to the church that our Lord himself built? Besides that, there was no way I was going to admit that all the people who had tried to keep me out of the Catholic Church had been right all along. <laughs> there was one other matter to consider, too. Bonnie had just enrolled in our CIA. No matter how discouraged I was, I had to fulfill my God-given role as the spiritual leader of our home. My life during that time felt like a line from a Rodney Atkins song. Things go from bad to worse, you think they can't get worse than that, and then they do. Being a full-time student had left a six-month gap in my employment history. I applied for a number of jobs and received a, a series of those dreaded thank-you-for-your-interest letters. The Cedar Rapids Police Department was recruiting new officers at the time. I applied and made it several steps into the selection process, but not far enough. One of a series of dead ends. For the interim, I started working security and eventually ended up patrolling the Kirkwood campus on night shifts. That was one of the lowest points of my life. Most of the time, God seemed distant. My prayers, if you can even call them that, sounded like, I trusted you, Lord. Why aren't you here? I gave up everything for you, and this is what I get? Surely you made me for more than this. Sometimes these prayers were punctuated with swear words. I'm sure I'm not the only person who's ever cussed at God. I've come to realize that men derive much of our identity from our work. Sometimes this, this part of our nature drives us to overachieve and work at the expense of other things. But when our vocational identity is attacked or somehow taken away, it strikes us at the core of our existence. I felt like such a failure. My efforts to serve the church in a vocational capacity had crashed and burned, and my business career appeared to be ruined as well. 
I was diagnosed with clinical depression and started having anxiety attacks. After one particularly bad anxiety attack, I ended up in the hospital for a few days. I won't dwell too much on, on this part of the story, but I will say that there were some times when I had some terribly dark thoughts. Everything seemed like a dead end, and I questioned if I wanted to go on with my life. There, there were times when I thought of checking out early. I believe that what kept me from completely losing my bearings during that time was continuing to attend Mass, receiving the Eucharist, and going to reconciliation, even when I didn't feel like it. The sacraments gave me the strength to continue learning the Catholic faith, not just learning about it. As St. Thomas Aquinas taught, grace builds upon nature and faith builds upon reason. My formation slacked off, but it didn't stop entirely. As the dust settled from my bad experience with graduate school, I began to realize that in any institution like the Catholic Church made of human beings, every one of them as flawed and imperfect as myself, some disorder is to be expected. It might sound cliche to say it, but the darkest time of night is just before the dawn. Psalm 40 speaks of waiting on the Lord, and it's one that's often set to music. And in particular, I like the Gaither vocal band version. When I was down, I turned to the Lord, and I pondered all of his wonders. And as I waited there, he heard my cry and was faithful to lift me up to the rock. On a cold January day, I got a phone call from a staffing agency where I had applied. Four Oaks here in Cedar Rapids needed someone with my qualifications on a short-term basis to audit some files for a project that was nearing its completion. This position was expected to last a few months. Seven years later, I'm still at Four Oaks, <laughs> now in the role of assistant controller. I'm not as far along career-wise as I would like to be at my age, but I, I'm holding on to the hope that God isn't finished with me vocationally. With my professional life back on track, the time had come to reassess where my journey was headed. I had joined the Knights of Columbus a few years earlier, and I started to attend meetings more often. Before long, I was invited to be a local council officer, and eventually I was appointed as district deputy for this area. Two years ago, I was chosen as one of eight delegates to represent Iowa at the Knights of Columbus Supreme Convention in Toronto. That was truly the experience of a lifetime. Seeing so many cardinals, bishops, priests, deacons, and lay people from as far away as Poland all gathered together reminded me of how Catholic, in the most literal sense of the word, the church truly is. And the Knights of Columbus have become my second family. When Jesus spoke to St. Paul on the road to Damascus, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The church is our Lord's continued presence in the modern world as, as priest and prophet and king. And on another level, the Catholic church is one big worldwide family. Now, sometimes things get messy, but that doesn't mean we walk away and start over. 500 years ago, some influential people made that mistake. But our Lord promised that his church would endure, and we serve a God who keeps his promises. I didn't plan for the timing to work out this way, but just over a week ago, I had the opportunity to go on a retreat with some other Catholic men, and it became a preparation for giving this talk. About 40 of us met in the St. Louis area 
and walk 24 miles from Manchester in the western suburbs to the shrine of St. Joseph on the northern edge of downtown St. Louis with stops along the way at the Carmelite Monastery and, and the New Cathedral. People in St. Louis still call it the New Cathedral even though it's over 100 years old. <laughs> um, completing the Joseph Challenge fit with the journey theme of this story. And it was one more way of embracing my identity as a Catholic man. That's who I am now. I haven't departed from the Christianity of my early life. The firm grounding in scripture that I, I received uh, and the warmth of Christian fellowship you know, from my rural Kentucky upbringing, the bold witness of my friends in college, the respect for liturgy and social ministry that I learned while working for the Lutherans, the evangelistic zeal I experienced at my suburban megachurch in Omaha. All of these experiences prepared me for a deeper expression of Christianity in what I once considered the most unlikely place, the Roman Catholic Church. I don't know where this journey will lead next, but by God's boundless grace, I've found my way home. Now that you've heard my story, it's your turn. What's your story? Write it down. Go out and tell it.